is London's public space insular? Well, there seems to be absolutely no evidence of a retreat from public space in London. No evidence of, retre of retreat from convivial public space into private realms. In fact, quite the opposite. All the spaces we looked at, um, new spaces and regenerated space spaces, have a clear audience who values them and uses those spaces, and typically those spaces are greatly, uh, those uh, audiences are greatly enlarged and enhanced by the regeneration activities that were going on. So the evidence, if there is any, is of a much greater involvement in traditional public spaces in London, rather than a retreat into private realms. But, again, it comes back to this issue around recognising where spaces for gregarious activities are appropriate and where they're not, and ensuring that management regime, regimes recognise the different types of public spaces that we, that we have in the city and that some spaces are better for quiet enjoyment, whereas others are for more lively activities. Is London's public space privatised? Well, this is the most pervasive of the critiques that we see in the literature. Um, and um, of the uh, case studies that we looked at, five were entirely private, managed and owned. Six were entirely public, managed and owned. Three were pseudo-public or pseudo-private, however you want to look at it. Um, and privatised space and pseudo-private variants, of course, are pervasive today and have always been pervasive in London. Often it's not clear who owns and manages the space. Somerset House is a good example. Um, the freehold is owned by the state. The leasehold is owned by a charitable trust. The space is shut for some months during the year for ice skating and other activities, which are revenue-generating activities to sustain the space and the other activities there. So is it public? Is it private? Are our rights being constrained because at some points in the year it's shut and other points it's not? Well, these are not simple judgments that can be made. And some of the best used and most valued spaces that we found are entirely private spaces. The spaces in Canary Wharf, for example, are some of the most used and some of the most valued spaces of the 14 that we looked at by their audiences. But they have a different and complementary role, I would argue, to the public spaces, the purely public spaces the publicly owned and managed spaces of the city. It doesn't have to be an either or. Are London spaces consumption orientated? Well, the origins of London, like many cities, lies in the bringing together of economic exchange opportunities with consumption potential. And so, of course, London spaces reflect that of the 14 spaces we looked at, 13 had some type of consumption opportunities, three of them were dominated by consumption activities. This creates opportunities to support positive life and activity, which gives character to spaces, but it also provides earning potential which can support other public goods, whether cultural, whether social housing, infrastructure, sporting activities, were all provided in some of the different case studies that we looked at. 
and very often cross-funded through different commercial and consumption activities. So whether subtle or significant, unique or ubiquitous in character, consumption typically enriches public space. And unless consumption is hidden from view, then you always run the risk that it may turn off some people because they don't like the particular things that are being offered in a, in a particular place, or they simply don't have the money to engage in those opportunities. That's always going to be a risk in any public space. Users, when you ask them, accept difference. They accept different types of public spaces uh, for, with different users and different types of consumption opportunities. 